This will most likely be our final message of the series we've been in called The Exchange Life. I'm calling it Communicating with the Divine. I used to call a message like this, How God Talks to Us. <laughs> I'm finding less and less religiosity even in my sermon titles. <laughs> Communicating with the divine. Isn't that great? You know, God's divine. It's not just God we're communicating either with. It's not just God who we're communicating with. There's Holy Spirit, Jesus, Scripture talks about speaking to angels, supernatural powers, communicating with the divine. All right, quick disclaimer. It isn't my intention today to cast shade on particular prayer or worship practices which are beloved. I want to offer a different view which may challenge accepted norms. My hope is that you will find yourself drawn into a deeper intimacy with Father God and a greater freedom in the grace of the exchanged life. Well, if you're going to talk about prayer at all, I think everybody's mind goes to the great prayer that we all refer to as the Lord's Prayer, right? Now, it isn't referred to as that in the Bible. We call it that. We made that up. If anything, it's actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus was responding to his disciples' request to teach them to pray. The Lord's Prayer is actually over in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Now, there's two different versions of the, quote, Lord's Prayer, or more correctly, the disciples' prayer. Two different versions of it. The first one's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. The second one is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, could we? Everybody, we'll have it on the screen here for you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, notice three times over he says, when you pray. In the verses leading up to this, in the verses leading up to giving us this, and we haven't read those verses, I understand, but three times he says, when you pray. When you pray, don't do this. When you pray, don't be like these people. When you pray, three times. In contrast, Paul's teaching in the epistles was pray without ceasing. So Jesus says, when you pray, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Now, in verse 9... He begins this prayer here that he gives his disciples with this comment. This, then, is how you should pray. Notice, not what you should pray. 
This is how you should pray. In other words, this is a template. Some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. <laughs> He's not teaching them what to say. He's teaching them how to pray. There's a difference. Jesus' suggestion is that this is a model, not a rule. It's not a charter or a system. And then he does something interesting at the end of the disciples' prayer. And he tacks on an addendum regarding forgiveness that actually differs from Paul's teaching on this subject. Let's look at it. Verses 14 and 15. Following the disciples' prayer, he says, For if you forgive, notice the condition of it, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, in the Pauline teaching, or gospel, good news, forgiveness is a past tense reality of grace. It's not a provisional reward for obedience or works. Interesting. You say, I didn't know that. Yeah, watch, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Just as an example, there are many. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Well, if God's not counting your sins against you and he's already reconciled the whole world in Christ prior to you even being born, then how is it that the Father's not going to forgive you of your sin if you don't forgive somebody else? Say, Pastor, don't do this to us. Don't bring things up like, like this that cause us to question our Bible. <laughs> Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5 and chapter 4, verse 32. Look, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See? You see the past tense of that? Just as in Christ God forgave you. It's past tense. God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead, before it was already a given. It's not a provisional reward. So what would explain this difference between what Jesus taught in the Gospels in response to his disciples asking them for a template of prayer and the Pauline Gospel? Well, number one, he could be talking about the effect unforgiveness has on you, your conscience. See, me not forgiving somebody doesn't affect them. It affects me far worse than it affects them. Now, that attitude and that poison and that toxicity inside of me of not forgiving somebody will bring all kinds of things and God gets blamed for it thus God won't forgive you <laughs> well, it sounds like a stretch 
All right, how about this one? I like this one even better. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and gave them, quote, the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, they were still under the Old Testament system. When he spoke to them and taught them, they were Jews and Hebrews listening with a context of the Old Testament law and law code. They, they, they still lived their lives by obedience and performance in order to get God's blessing. And some of the things Christ teaches in the Gospels do not carry over to the post-cross grace of incarnation. Now, this is not meant to be a message completely on prayer or the incarnation or grace or what happened after the cross, but I can tell you this. There are some things that literally are turned upside down and are categorically different after the cross than before the cross. And this would be one of them. Forgiveness. There is no question post the cross of your forgiveness. It does not hang in the balance of you performing or pleasing God or doing the right things. You're forgiven. Now, if you don't forgive, there is going to be a toxicity and a poison that's going to cause you all kinds of problems. I don't want to take away from that fact. Now, Let's talk more specifically about prayer, or as I'm calling it this morning, communication with the divine. I want to give you five things. Prayer, number one, prayer is integral to life. It, it's not separate from life. It, it's not the function of a dualistic lifestyle. I have my secular life where I go to work and I do this, and, 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 and then I go to church and I pray, right? Or I live my normal life and I go to work and I have my job and I'm married and I got grandkids or, or whatever, you know, and there's that life. And then there's my spiritual life where I pray and I read my Bible and so forth. And I, and I make, you know, 15 minutes a day, half hour a day, an hour a day to do that part of my life and then I have this part of my life. No, 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 no. It's all integrated. You don't have two lives. There is no dualism taught in the gospel between your secular and your spiritual. You are one. Life is a prayer. It's unceasing communion with Father. And this is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says this, pray without ceasing. How is that possible? How is it possible to pray without ceasing? When you begin to realize that your whole life is worship. My whole life is prayer. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago how that I was short on time for sermon preparation, but I had committed myself to certain activities around the house, and one of them was mowing the lawn. And so I was out mowing the lawn, and I got a download for my sermon. And so I stopped the mower and began to, you know, type into my app where I keep my notes. 
And I was reminded by the Lord in that weekend of activity, and that activity was not on my knees with my Bible open, praying and asking God for a message, right? A lot of that time was doing stuff, being, being a person, being a human being. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and reminded me Jesus was a carpenter. <laughs> Jesus was a carpenter. Well, how did he pray without ceasing? If he had to be on his knees, if he always had his head in the clouds, right? If his hands were always folded and he was always in this sort of Hollywood idea of connecting with God, right? Even Jesus mowed the lawn. Even Jesus cleaned the house. Can you be in communion with God, listening to the Holy Spirit, fellowshipping with Jesus, loving them, praising them, and enjoying God's presence while you're mowing the lawn, cleaning a house, out building something, running the dogs up to the groomer? <laughs> I begin to realize I can get some of my greatest messages as a pastor, I mean, that's my profession. I realize that, that's, that doesn't include but a very small minority of people that ever listen to me. And, and so I try to give examples outside of that. But for me, sermon preparation and, and, and sharing a message with you that makes sense, and I tell people all the time, I've got to go home and figure out something intelligent to say on Sunday. <laughs> Some of you have heard me say that. And I've always felt pressed. I, I was never able to give up my Friday and my Saturday. Nina will tell you, in almost 50 years of marriage now, uh, Friday and Saturday was holy. I, I cut everything off. I've not attended the birthday parties of family. I've not attended functions and so forth of, of family even because I had to prepare for Sunday. And so my request was, you know, could we do it on Sunday afternoon? And I am learning to communicate with the divine in a way that I can get a message while I'm mowing the lawn. You say, oh, fine. Well, we've been following you now for 30 years. Thanks for letting us know now. <laughs> I just kind of heard that in my mind. I know, I know. We're growing, we're learning, we're getting free. Number two, prayer is beyond words. Prayer isn't limited to words. Authentic prayer taps into the unutterable, into a realm beyond verbalization, where silence translates into a language all of its own. This is beautifully captured in the words of Paul in the book of Romans in the eighth chapter. I'm going to read, and this is Weiss' translation, which is, very, we did a translation. He was a Greek scholar, and in his translation, he, he just unpacks many of those Greek words and opens them up, and so it just becomes very colorful and three-dimensional. You'll, you'll, you'll see that as I read. Okay, so what would normally be a two-sentence verse is like seven or eight sentences. 
Sorry, guys, it's big, I know. They're backing me out so they can fit it in. <laughs> Thank you. Watch. And in like manner also, the Spirit leads us, uh, or lends us a helping hand with reference to our weakness. For the particular thing that we should pray for, according to what is necessary in the nature of the case, we do not know with an absolute knowledge. But the Spirit himself comes to our rescue by interceding with unutterable groanings. Moreover, he who is constantly searching our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because, according to God, he continually makes intercession on behalf of the saints. There you go. Pray without ceasing. I was driving to take the dogs to the groomers yesterday in the middle of the day. I can't do that. I've got to pray. I've got to prepare a sermon. <laughs> and while I was taking the dogs to the groomer, God was downloading. God was speaking to me things about this time of sharing. Now, that's my reality. That's my world. But I want you to translate that into your life, into your busyness, into your career, into... All right, life is a prayer. And prayer is not just about words. It, it, there, there's a depth to it. There's something that comes up out of our being because of our relationship with the Holy Spirit that's beyond words. And dear ones, that is as much prayer as when you are on your knees, Bible open, hands folded, praying in a traditional religious, I might say, or add, way number three how about just silent communion contemplative or meditative prayer the most profound prayer is a muted connection it's setting aside every thought and offering ourselves in an un Instructed stillness to Father who understands everything. It's allocating moments to detach from worldly concerns, allowing the Holy Spirit to mold us. And this transcends, it transcends existence and even silence. I tried a little bit of it this morning. It was about 6 a.m. I fell asleep. <laughs> and that's okay, too. It's not like God left said, all right, I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to help you today. You fell asleep during prayer. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> really? Is that our relationship with God? Number four, challenging idolatry. True communication with the divine challenges idolatry. What do I mean? You see, prayer delves beneath our constructed images of God, which are shaped by your imagination. And, and, and they dictate our lives. What am I talking about? Well, how about this? Our perception of God. He's elderly. He's wrathful. He's a disciplinary disciplinarian that God requires performance achievement a transactional relationship with us 
And, and how often do we feel bound by rules and rituals and requirements? Those are all idolatrous. And, and when we really communicate with God, when we're just in sweet fellowship with Holy Spirit, all of those idols have to fall because God's presence burns them away. That was what God did throughout the Old Covenant. When you read about all of those fantastic events where God would come and fire would be poured out and idols would be burnt and idolatrous would be wiped out, all that was idolatrous, you realize, don't you, that some of that's not a matter of facts and events and when it happened and what year and what people group was it and getting down to all of that. God's giving us a narrative. He's giving us a story, a picture, right? Like, like a children's picture book where you turn the pages and you, you see God wiping out idols. That's what God does for us today when we just bring him the simplicity of our life and all that's bothering us and we say, God, I don't, I don't even have time today. I'm in such a rush. I'm going to miss my, my, my 10 minutes, my 15 minutes of devotional time today and I'm, you get to the end of your day and you didn't read the Bible at all that day. Maybe you haven't read it for a week. God says, hey, 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 stop. Bring that to me. Let me burn that idol out of your life so I can restore sweet fellowship with who I am yeah yeah number five silence as presence I have never in my life taught this nor thought of God's presence as silence in fact, we find silence unsettling. In the absence of words, we, we appear adrift, just kind of lost. <laughs> now, I'm not going to point any fingers because I know, I know the reality and the ritual for some of you, but I think it's safe to say that for most of us, if we're at home alone, we can't stand it. We've got to turn on the television, the radio. We, we've got to have something going, right? Why is that? Huh? What, what is that about us that's unsettled by silence that looks for words that we're just kind of adrift and we don't have our bearing if, if something's not turned on? And do you know we do that in our relationship with Father and Holy Spirit and Jesus? Man, if I don't have my Bible out, if I'm not praying a particular prayer. This is why Jesus didn't say, this is what you pray. He said, this is how you pray. Use this as a template. Bring these six things into your prayer life. Incorporate these things into your prayer life. Don't pray this prayer as rote. The ancient understanding of silence was that it, that was that it equated with God's presence. Now, I don't need to tell you, you're acquainted, right, at least with the, the story, the, the, the nature of a monastic life style, right? What one thing stands out to you most about a monastic lifestyle? Anybody? Can you say it? Tell me. Huh? 
they, they don't talk. It's not that they can't. They haven't lost their voice, right? They didn't get their vocal cords removed. Paramount, at the top, front and center, they make a covenant. They will not talk. And this includes when they're doing their work, when they're walking around the premises, when they're having their meals together. And this is community. They do a lot of thing, things in community. They're not just on their knees at their bed, you know, praying in silence. This is throughout the day. Everything that they do not speak a word. They live in silence. That's the lifestyle of a monk. And why do they do that? Because they've learned the beauty that silence equates to presence. Silence isn't emptiness, but fullness. An active, palpable sense of the divine comes in being silent. There is a call, and I hope it increases as a result of what I'm talking to you about today there's a call of the Holy Spirit to shift our focus from the past and the future to recognize right now God's continuous presence in the now and I promise you that if you will give yourself to these six aspects of communication, communicating with the divine you will realize an uptick in presence, in the awareness of his power, his sweet love, his favor, not performance. It's, it, it's not he's rewarding you for performance. You are dealing with all of the things, the distractions, the layers of the attitudinal onion that forbid you to know him in sweet power and presence. Those get dealt with so that you begin to see God like you never have before. Those five items again. See prayer as integral to life. It's not separate from life. It's beyond words, number two. Number three, it's silent communion. Number four, it will challenge the idolatrous in our life. And number five, silence is presence. Mm -hmm.